morning. Uh, this morning's scripture is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, everyone. We are uh, in a series of messages. If you're new here this morning, uh, we have been uh, studying through the uh, letter to the Ephesians and almost going uh, verse by verse uh, in a series that we've called Deeper. And this morning, uh, we are at the section that uh, Aaron read for us in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning and verse 11 and following. Allegra, that was beautiful this morning, just to dedicate your little one. God bless you. Human beings uh, have always been preoccupied with building walls. Have you noticed? Human beings have always been preoccupied with building walls. In the first century, the Roman Emperor Hadrian built a 75-mile wall across Britain. How many have seen it? A number of you have seen it. In the uh, 1870s, Argentina built a, fi- a, a line of trenches and watchtowers to protect Buenos Aires from invasion by the indigenous peoples. The Berlin Wall went up in 1961, dividing east from west for almost 30 years. In 1975, South Africa built a 3,500-volt electric fence, dubbed the Snake of Fire, to keep the Civil War in Mozambique from spilling over into their country. In the middle of the night, in August 2006, Italian officials constructed a steel wall around the Via Anelli, a rundown neighborhood known for drug trafficking and prostitution, and to keep that stuff in that community and not into our community. Some of you have seen the Great Wall of China. Again, maybe how many have seen the Great Wall of China? A number of you. 
And President Trump has promised a wall that will be built between Mexico and the United States at Mexico's expense. Put a little smile emoticon behind that sentence. <laughs> Walls don't just divide us. They make us ill. In truth, after the wall, the Berlin Wall went up, East German psychiatrists observed that the Berlin Wall caused mental illness, rage, dejection, and addiction. And to the, the closer to the wall that people lived, uh, the more intense was the sickness. And then in 1989, there was such emotional liberation uh, when the wall finally fell in Berlin. Thousands of jubilant Germans climbed the wall. They embraced each other atop the concrete and they proceeded to tear the rest of the wall down with joyful abandon, piece by piece, piece by piece. When I was there a few years ago, there weren't many pieces left. It was such a delight to bring it down. It was therapeutic. Some of you remember the famous speech by President Ronald Reagan when he said to Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down the wall. And the wall came down. Churchill had named that wall in the separation of the East and West as the Iron Curtain. And when it came down, what a difference it made as families were reunited. Well, there's another wall in history that was massive, huge, divisive. Aaron read it this morning. And you know, we could almost read that passage and yawn because it doesn't seem like it's significant to us. Actually, it really is. It really is. It's a big deal, much bigger than what meets the eye. And actually, it impacts all of us, but we don't really think about it all that much. Had we lived in the first century, we would have been living in the reality of that wall every day. It was a wall of religious, ideological, political, and racial divide. It's hard to describe the alienation of the Jews and the Gentiles. I don't have the words this morning to accurately say it to you. It's a wall that Gentiles and Jews would have never dreamed in their day that that would come down because of the immense hatred now, just to be clear, some would say, well, who, who are Gentiles? Well, very simply, anyone who is not a Jew. So most of us are Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile in the first century, sorry to say it so bluntly, you would have been known as a dog. In fact, if you came to the aid of a Gentile woman having a baby you would have only introduced another heathen to provide fuel for the fires of hell. I know. Sounds really cruel. Sounds really harsh. It's terrible. But think what it must have been like to experience that every day, every day, every day. That wall so high, that wall of hatred. And if a Jewish man married a Jewish woman, oh, the celebrations that would go on for a whole week long, there would be powerful, wonderful uh, celebrations. But if a Jewish woman married a Gentile man, 
you had a funeral. That was the end of the relationship of Jewish parents with their daughter. They had a funeral for their daughter. You and I can hardly imagine the walls that were up. Prejudice ran deep. In fact, it still does. I like the words of Tom Holliday. He writes, when Paul talks about a barrier and a dividing wall, those in his days would have immediately thought of a specific place in Jerusalem. They would have thought of the wall that divided the most outer court of the temple, the only court where Gentiles could enter, but that would separate them from the Jewish people. Those courts were outdoor areas around the temple uh, building. The court of the Gentiles was as close as the Gentiles could go to the temple of God. And I think there might be a slide that will come up that just kind of illustrates that. Next uh, was the court of the women. The court of the Gentiles was the furthest outside, then the court of of the women, then the court of the men, and then the priest's court. I mean, if you think of it in terms of a baseball stadium, the priests were on the field, The Jewish men and women were in the stands and the Gentiles were only allowed in the parking lot. Just to be clear, the Gentiles didn't even get inside the ball stadium. In between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women was a a wall that was three or four feet high. And in 1871, archaeologists dug up an inscription from the wall that says this, let no one from any nation come within the fence. The barrier around the holy place, whosoever will be taken doing so himself will himself be responsible for the fact that his death will ensure. And they meant it. This was more than just a little sign, keep off the grass. This was a death warning. Go beyond this point and you will have no one but yourself to blame for your death. You've been warned. So you begin to get the feeling that existed back in the day, in the first century. We have our our walls today. What immense walls we have that bring such violence and animosity in our world. You would have thought that in the 21st century, we would have dealt with those walls. But with all our education, with all of our years of experience, the walls just keep getting higher. You can think of them. They are political walls. They are relational walls among family and friends. Families don't talk to one another. There are religious walls. There are racial walls. There are walls among colleagues. I mean, we have them all. And they had their walls back then, and none more agonizing than the huge wall that had existed for years between Jews and Gentiles. You have no idea of the height of that wall. So just a bit of a context here as we we think about this passage this morning. Number one, walls bring alienation. Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You used to be outsiders. Now, when the gospel arrived in Ephesus, by far the people who embraced the gospel most were the Gentiles. 
Paul went to the synagogue. He had some response, not a great response. And so then he turned to the Gentiles, and the stronger response came from the Gentiles. They loved Paul's message because they'd never heard anything like this before. They were interested, they were intrigued, and you can see why in the following verses. And so Paul communicates with them from prison. And he says, don't forget, don't forget, or please remember. Uh, Hear these words from the message, um, but don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. Isn't that awesome? The Gentiles were alienated from God, and they were alienated from the Jewish people. I mean, they couldn't get the time of day with the Jews. And Paul does remind them, not to be off-putting, but there are some things that we should never forget, like never forget our lost condition, Let, never forget our sense of not having any direction in life, Some remember well the desperation, the sense of hopelessness. Therefore, Paul is quite okay to say, keep remembering. Keep that memory sharp of where you've come from because it will make you appreciate what you have today. Now, Paul wants to talk about circumcision in verse 11. Um, The Jews prided themselves in circumcision. Why? Well, uh, it was the mark of the covenant. It goes right back to Abraham. It wasn't meant to be something to boast about. It was simply to say that we are the people of God. And we are to be a blessing to people around us. It meant that as well. They kind of missed the second part about being a blessing to the surrounding nations. So circumcision marked them as the covenant people. But unfortunately that got shifted. And the covenant people, the children of God, used it as a sign of their superiority. Remember David as a, as a young shepherd boy coming up against Goliath? You remember what he said? He asked the men standing near him, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He didn't have to say that. But that was the feeling that was entrenched among the Israelites. That was his background. Oh, and we have our terms too and their put-downs, and their slurs, and they're inappropriate. And if you're interested, there are five ways that the Gentiles found themselves being outsiders. They're tucked away in verse 12. I hope you will look at them with me. All of them packed into one verse, but the, the verse is just bulging with history. First of all, we were without Christ. Uh, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. 
Uh, they were without Christ. They hadn't a clue about who Jesus was. They knew about the goddess Diana. They knew about the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. They'd gotten into some pretty convoluted stuff in this pagan religion. But that's all they knew. They had no idea of Christ. They had no idea of who he was. There were, and there are many around the world today who have never heard of Jesus in our day. They totally have never heard the gospel. And there are lots of people around us today who know the name of Christ, but they don't connect him as the one who brings purpose and meaning and significance to life and offers them forgiveness and peace. They just don't make that connection. So Paul says, first speaking to the Gentiles, you who were without Christ. Second, he says, we were without citizenship. In the words of Paul, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. I mean, the Jews had a nation. God established them as a people, but the, but the Gentiles never had any sense of belonging, and they could never be part of the Jewish heritage. It's kind of like uh, we might be invited uh, to play in the backyard, but we're never invited to play in the front yard with the, where, where the real game is going on. We, we might be invited uh, to, to do this little thing of playing in the, mud, but you, in the mud, but you could never play with the big boys. And that's the Gentiles. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Thirdly, we were without friends. You did not know the covenant promises God made to them. Abraham was a friend of God. The children of Abraham were friends of God. And God had made a covenant with his people, but the, but the Gentiles didn't have any part in that friendship. They were outside the covenant. They had no relationship with God. They had gods. They were polytheistic, but they didn't know the one true God. It's a wretched picture. And Paul is just reminding them of how far they were away from God. That they were outsiders. And then, number four, they were without God. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, the Gentiles had a lot of gods, as Paul discovered when he went to, to Athens. Somebody said in that day it was easier to find a god than a man. Uh, you no doubt, uh, no doubt have traveled to other countries, perhaps to, to countries where, where God is not known. It's a polytheistic culture, many idols that, that are worshipped, and, and uh, there's often the goal is to remove the anger of the gods appeasing the gods and much of the of the worship is to win over the gods and there's this this coming and being so desperate before god but you know we don't have to go anywhere else we just look at our own story and we can see how we've made things our gods and we are living completely without god having any place in our lives so it's not just a point out there it's 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 inclusive it's us too. And then five, we were without hope. Paul seems to understand the hopeless condition of the Gentiles. And maybe that's why they were so eager to respond to this message of Christ. They knew they needed hope. Did you know that the first century was a period of time in which the suicide rate was particularly high? One writer, Tacitus, tells of a man who killed himself in indignation that he had been born it's like, I don't deserve to be born, and he took his life. Historians tell us that a great blanket of hopelessness covered the ancient world. 
There was no sense of religion or philosophy bringing any sense of hope to people's lives. Quite a picture. But sometimes it's helpful to see our reality so we can see our great need. So what do, what do walls do? They bring alienation. Walls bring alienation. Walls divide. And the enemy, Satan, has this as one of his key tactics. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. If he can divide a family, he can conquer the family. If he can divide a church, he can weaken the ministry of the church. If he can divide our hearts, he can keep us from being focused. So what does he do? He puts lots of very attractive things in front of us in the hopes that we will get distracted from Jesus Christ. He sets traps to keep us from the heart of God. Division. Walls. Separation. Now there are two great words in verse 13 that brings about a transition. A great transition. And they're the words, but now. They're kind of like the words that we came across in the earlier part of chapter 2, verse 4, when it says, but God. And we come right back to that again right now. It's but now. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So secondly, Jesus Christ breaks down the walls. Jesus Christ breaks down the walls. Listen to the walls crumble. The wall is coming down between Jews and Gentiles. This is historical. I mean, I just see in my mind like a building is blowing up, implosion, like it just kind of, and this cloud of dust comes. This is the breaking down, the crumbling of the walls between Jews and Gentiles. And this message is to the Gentiles, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Hey guys, you can come in out of the parking lot. You can come in, you can be with the priests, you can be with the men, you can be with the women. You can come in and you are equal and you are welcome, as welcome as anybody. Really? Yes. You can sit next to your Jewish neighbor. And oh, but more importantly, you're no longer far away from God. You've been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you are included too. Listen to the walls crumb. This is just such crazy love. This is the love of Jesus Christ. This is a statement of freedom. This is beyond what anybody would ever thought possible. Listen to this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of, hist of hostility that separated us. Now it seems to me like every new leader that comes into political office whether prime minister or president uh, holds out the carrot of peace. I guess it's the role. Peace within borders or peace among nations. And we sign peace treaty after peace treaty. And we've all come to know that mainly it's just rhetoric. That it can't be delivered. Not to say we shouldn't try. But no one can bring peace to a conflicted heart or nation. Because Jesus Christ alone is our peace. 
If you're hoping to find peace in Syria through human efforts, although we must try, when the walls are up so high, it's beyond the resources of humanity. North Korea, South Korea, wow. Signs of discussion, peace, perhaps, or is it a ploy? What kind of peace? But the peace that really brings down the walls of fear and suspicion and animosity is only found in Jesus Christ because he changes hearts. There's a story of American troops invading Germany at the close of the Second World War. It was kind of a mop-up operation. And there was a small conflict out in the rural setting. And a home was under siege. The German family, knowing that their, their house was about to be blown up, ran from the house to the barn. But in the midst of the firing, their three-year-old daughter got loose and ran out into the yard. It was terrible. She ran right into the line of fire. But when the American troops saw the little girl, they immediately stopped firing. And in half a minute, the mother ran out, got the little child, swept her up, and took her to safety to the barn. And then the firing resumed again. Doesn't it make you think of the Isaiah 9 passage? For a child is born to us, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, the, the peace that we're trying to bring is like a child running out into the yard. It's temporary. And the peace that God brings is his son Jesus, because he brings us right into the presence of God. And the walls between us and God crumble, and the walls between us and others crumble. For the past couple of years, our country has been involved in a national inquiry for missing and murdered indigenous women. And if you check the website, the mission is to find the truth of the situation, honor the truth, and give life to the truth as an act of healing. And you probably listen to some of the stories of pain that I, I listen to almost every day or weekly that's covered in the news. Great pain, huge walls. What can we do? We can reach out our hearts to all people, including the indigenous of our country, and include them and love them and help them to know the healing love of Jesus Christ. And if they sense that from, from all of us, Christians in every church, what a difference that would make. In 1787 in the United States, there was a black man who was worshiping at an all-white church because they didn't have their, their own churches. And when the time came for prayer at the end of the service, people were called forward for salvation and to pray. This man came forward and he prayed in the whites only section. That's all he did. They removed this man from the church. The next day, the African Americans who were part of that Methodist church went to a vacant local blacksmith shop and they purchased it. There weren't many. They started their own church. And that was the beginning of the African Methodist Episcopal Church that you often hear on the news, the AME denomination. It was a sad moment. It was a sad moment in American history. 
and the walls went up even further. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to say as he surveyed the church landscape of the country, the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour of the week. Listen. Oh, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. It's different. Once you were far away, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Thirdly, reconciliation is the heart of God. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Actually, verse 16 is linked to many other verses in Romans and other books of the Bible to illustrate what is called the doctrine of reconciliation. This is at the heart of our faith. Reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man or man and man. It assumes that there's been a breakdown, but now there's been a restoration. Doesn't, restor doesn't reconciliation feel good? We've all needed someone to forgive us when we missed the mark. And it feels so good to be restored, to be forgiven, to have the walls crumble. The story is told of two unmarried sisters in Scotland who lived together, but they had a falling out. They disagreed over theology. They never spoke to one another again. No words. They lived in this same little small house, only one bedroom, so they shared two beds in the one bedroom, and a chalk line was drawn across the floor to separate their two living areas. At night, they went to bed listening to the heavy breathing of their enemy, her sister. And they never reconciled. We say, oh, how silly that is. This is not the heart of God. But when we know Christ, we don't need the chalk line. But the old enemy, because of pride, says, draw the chalk line. Draw the chalk line. And we've drawn the chalk line, and some fabulous friendships and memories that we might have had got tossed out the window, and our souls have shriveled. There's a story out of Australia about a man driving a school bus that carried whites and Australian aboriginals. Tired of all the squabbling, one day far out in the country, the bus driver pulled over to the side of the road and he said to the white boys, what color are you? And they said, white. He told them, no, you are green. Anybody who rides in my bus is green. Now, what color are you? Green. And then he went to the aboriginal young people and he said to them, what color are you? And they said, black. No, he said, you're green. Anybody who rides in my bus is green. What color are you? <laughs> and they said, green. And the situation seemed like, ha, huh, it had resolved itself. Until several miles down the road, he heard a boy in the back of the bus announce, all right, light green on this side and dark green on this side. Oh, the bus driver had a good idea to fix the problem, but he couldn't pull it off. What was needed was a new race, a new humanity, a new man.
Back in the second century, Clement of Alexandria wrote, we who worship God in a new way as the third race are Christians, as the third race. And Paul reminds us that this is what happened when Christ broke down the dividing wall, that he created a new race. He created a new race. That he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. One new people. Paul shouts it from the housetops in Galatians 3.28. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free or male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Reconciliation in Christ. Well, friends, it's a very full passage. There's a lot of details in that passage. Walls bring alienation. Jesus Christ breaks down the walls. Reconciliation is the heart of God. Can I just ask you to maybe just close your Bible and turn off your phone or whatever it is. Just kind of relax for a moment. And just hear this little story as I conclude. And, and would you just ask God what it might mean for you? A soldier was killed in a war. They were in enemy territory. And they didn't know where to bury their friend. They found a church with a cemetery. The pastor of the church, Roman Catholic priest, came out to talk to them. They said to the priest, our friend was killed in a skirmish. We would like to bury our friend in dignity in your cemetery. The priest said no, that this was not permissible since he was not a Catholic, therefore he couldn't be buried in their cemetery. The soldiers looked at him and said, really? And he said, really? So the soldiers took their dead comrade and left the church very disappointed and that they weren't able to lay their friend to rest. As they walked out of the compound, they decided to bury their friend outside the fence that belonged to the church and the cemetery. So they dug a hole and they buried their friend. They said a few words that they felt was appropriate to say and then they prayed and they left. The next morning, they went back to the gravesite to pay their final respects before moving on. To their dismay, they couldn't find the gravesite. They were shocked. Where was the grave? They had just buried their friend there yesterday. At that moment, they saw the priest walking out to them to talk to them. And the priest said, I couldn't sleep all night because of what I said to you. It just wasn't right. So in the middle of the night, I moved the fence so that your friend could be inside and could be in our cemetery. That's what Jesus does. He moves the fence. And sometimes he just removes it completely. So we can be reconciled to him and to one another. Do you have any fences that need to be moved? 
Do you have any fences that need to be moved? Now all of us can come to the Father through, all, through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Reconciliation means removing the fence. Our Father, we thank you today for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the one who gave his life to restore us with you and with one another. We acknowledge today that you are the great reconciler. The enemy wants to divide. He wants to destroy. But Lord Jesus, you want to heal and you want to restore. So we invite you to see our situation and to move us, whatever that might look like, to peace and reconciliation and harmony and the ability to walk in your freedom. So be the healer of our hearts today, Lord, you know. You know us as we sit here this morning. Be the restorer of our alienation. Be the cure for our pain. Come and do your work in each of us and take the fences away. In Jesus' name.